What's going on and welcome into the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky. I'm Daniel Salish and happy 504 day everyone out there. Of course, we're going to put a bow on this 2021-22 season here in our practice facility at the Oxford Sports Performance Center. It's our Pelicans radio network crew discussing the season and what it was for the New Orleans Pelicans. A trip to the playoffs is always certainly nice to talk about. Let's go around the room and introduce everyone that will be on the podcast Part of our post-game analysis, Jim Mikanoffer at Pelicans.com. Our radio analyst, John the Shazer, the voice of the Pelicans, Todd Graffinini, and sideline reporter, host extraordinaire, Aaron Summers. Glad to have you all back in. We're kind of reunited here after a couple of days of, of taking off, probably getting away from each other, and now we're back here <laughs> recapping the season. But uh, we'll I'll start with Jim, and I'll go around the room here. And Jim, what's crazy about the season, when you, when you think about other teams in recapping and you look at a team that won 36 games you're probably like 36 games 36 wins are we really like celebrating what happened but based on the start of the season and how it ended I think celebrating this team is certainly what we need to do today here no doubt and I would go a step further and say that in the entire time I've been here there's maybe maybe only been one or two other off seasons I can recall where you ended the season and you're so much looking forward to the next year so I mean, that's pretty high praise considering that there was a team here in 2008 that won 56 games, and there were a few other teams that made the playoffs as well. But I think that the level of enthusiasm and optimism right now is pretty close to what it's been at its peak over the you know last decade and a half of New Orleans basketball. So that's saying a lot for what a team that won 36 games was able to accomplish. JD, how fun of a run was it? You kind of, you know, obviously with your split roles, you really got to sink in probably at the best time, the way this team was playing post all-star break and the way it go. How fun was that just to kind of see the evolution of this team with CJ McCollum going through that playoff push? Well, first I got all the dubs, none of the L's. So you did. You guys, I, I took you guys, the L's. You, yeah, you took guys the have all that. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to see him kind of not just figure it out, but, to not wane in believing that they could figure it out. Because, you know, when you're 1-12, 3-16, and 16, we keep saying that all over and over, it's easy to let go. It's easy to say, you know what, this is not going to happen. And yet they didn't. And not only did they not let go, but figured out a way to get in. And, I mean, so it was really, really fun to see this team mature. I mean, you add C.J. McCollum in, and C.J. just brought not just uh, a refreshing attitude, but you're talking about a guy who scored 20 – a game for seven straight years. So he gives you a legitimate score, a legitimate go-to guy, a legitimate alternate guy when Brandon Ingram's not on the court or when he even is on the court. So you know, it was fun to watch, really fun to watch. Todd, you got to go through the roller coaster ride of this season all the way, you know, with all the COVID things going on too. I mean, including you, you were affected by it. The 1-12 in 12 start getting all the way to this point. But the one consistent thing about this team as you were in – mostly every practice and shoot around, they never wavered, never fractured. And that starts with the Willie Green. We'll get to him in a moment. But the fact that you were able to see the ups and the highs and really the, the mood did not change at all, I thought was really impressive. Uh, Daniel, you read my mind because uh, I was there early and I did take a lot of L's. Um, it, but it was, I tell you, you have been through this before and all everybody here has been through this. It, we never got to the point where even in the dark days of November and December, where you're already thinking about when is this season going to end? It was never that thought. And Willie Green would not allow that thought to creep into anybody's mind, uh, much less the players. And then when they finally started to get it going 
and you could see the potential of this team. And then, obviously, when the trade happened, and people forget, after the trade happened, we lost the first four games after the trade. It wasn't like you hit the ground running and then, you know, just went on this massive win streak. I, I thought the all-star break was huge because they came back. The coaches were able to kind of figure things out as how they're going to use CJ and Branham together. And then when that happened, you get that four-game winning streak out of the break. That's when you really saw the true potential. And then it was just, I mean, everybody would agree, it was just a month-long just adrenaline rush, just trying to get into the play-in and then getting in and then the playoffs, and it was just, it was awesome. Aaron, this was your first time, first season with the team, uh, but you came at a really good time, and you came, not only was it your first season, it was also head coach Willie Green's first season. Just what you saw from him, him building the relationships. We saw the mic'd up stuff from the Clippers game that, you know, we got a fight and that turned into kind of the identity of this team, kind of how important was Willie Green as far as the equation to get this team into the playoffs after a slow start. I think what was really cool is so many moments throughout this season, I kept asking, is this normal? Is this how practice is supposed to feel? Is this how it's supposed to look? You know, they look like they're having so much fun and, so many people are like, no, this is not a normal NBA locker room. This is not a normal team. The culture is unbelievable. The way that they're staying positive, the way that they're continuing to come in and work and enjoy each other. And it all started with Coach Willie Green. It's been tough for some of these players. They've had three different coaches over the past three years. But Coach Green came in and he was steadfast in his belief of what he thought this team could be. And he instilled that belief in the team. And we really saw it come to fruition towards the end of the season where these players would tell you, we are going to the playoffs, regardless of our record, regardless of how we've been playing, regardless of you know, losing those four games, even with the acquisition of CJ McCollum, they believed. And that's what we saw as the season went on. And then you know, the fans started to believe. And then actually the entire country got to see what we had been seeing throughout the season. Jim, let's talk about that playoff experience, and then we'll kind of go into individual moments here for this team and what players really got them to this point, even though I think everyone was able to contribute. Just the value of having that playoff experience for a lot of guys that haven't experienced before. As Aaron said, a lot of the country kind of took notice about, wow, this team has a lot of great talent on it, plus the future looks extremely bright. And I feel like no matter what being an eight seed you took the Suns to six, but that playoff experience is what's going to translate over to next season, I think. Yeah, and by the way, I'm jealous of Aaron's play, making the playoffs success rate percentage at 100% <laughs> right now because mine is not quite at that level, but no. I'm going to work on that over the next few years. Mine's not so great either. So. <laughs> but, no, in terms of the, the value of the playoff experience, it's interesting because it seems like that's been kind of the talk going into the last couple seasons of they want to play meaningful games, and they did that to some extent in 2020 where they were able to play – in the bubble, obviously that didn't go well, and I probably should never bring the bubble up again No, based on the results there. And then last season they kind of got towards maybe the last couple weeks and they were still kind of in the race, but not really. So for them to be able to uh, have so many guys, I think it was seven or eight of the um, 10 or 11 players that played minutes in the playoffs that this was the first time that they had ever been in the playoffs um, is huge. And not to mention, I'm sure we're going to get into the rookies. You had three guys that – first season in the NBA, they make the playoffs and they're able to contribute huge stuff in the play in games and the close of the regular season where a lot of those nights in the first week or so of April, you went into it saying this is not a must win uh, technically, but you really need to get this win. 
and they were able to deliver. So um, as the coaches and David Griffin has said recently, I mean, it's immense to think about how valuable that's going to be down the road. After I mention the word bubble one more time, we're banning the word from our okay, podcast. Excellent. And I will ban you if you bring it up again. But I do want to bring it up one more time, J.D., from the sense that a lot of people are comparing this to our first-round opponent, the Phoenix Suns, in what they did in the bubble a couple years ago, going 8-0. And since then, it's been a West an NBA Finals appearance, and they could be going back there again this season. we got to slow down a little bit. But at the same time, do you see the comparisons as far as the steps that the Suns have taken where they just need needed a player or two to get them where they are, and that could be a guy that's already in the building in Zion Williamson? I, I don't know. I mean, I think every situation is unique. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll pump the brakes on that one. I will slow my roll, and I will wait to see what happens because – it was a nice sprint to the finish. It, it was, but each and every game or every season, as we saw in the playoffs, each and every game was an individual unit. And you get really, really high on a win and you get really, really low on a loss. Well, you know, each of these seasons is an individual unit. So we can't make the assumption that there's going to be a significant jump just because Zion Williamson comes back because there's a lot of chemistry to be worked out there to put him on the court with the remaining parts. Do I think it can happen? Of course, because you're talking about adding a guy who was an all-star when he was healthy to another all-star in Brandon Ingram, to another all-star in C.J. McCollum, who actually hadn't been in the game, but is an all-star, to a guy who Jonas Valanciunas is a walking double-double, to a first-team all-defensive player in Herb Jones, to Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado. So all the parts seem to be there to make a significant jump, but you still got to go through the chemistry experiment to get him there. But, man, all the parts look really good on paper. But as we know, uh, uh, paper don't mean squat. You got to get out there and do it. All right. Well, brakes have been pumped. Let's go to Todd Graffinini. <laughs> you want to add something to that? Well, I was just going to say to the chemistry aspect of it, what's been interesting in all the exit interviews from the players is they talked about plans to get together this summer. Individually, you know, Zion said that he was going to be working out with different guys that talking about even going to Spain and having a quote unquote training camp together with Billy Hernan Gomez. So the idea is there for this team to continue to develop that chemistry and for Zion to be a big part of that. The Pelicans podcast officially will be in Spain as well during their workouts as we'll be doing on, on location ones. I think everyone in this room would agree that we're going down and graph you in. Hola. Okay. Oh yes. yeah. You already got it. You already got it down. <laughs> Um, speaking of getting down, Brandon Ingram, let's talk about the evolution of him in his three seasons here with the Pelicans. And speaking of kind of a coming out party, we all know the type of talent that Brandon Ingram is and what he's able to do. But again, he was one of those guys that caught the attention of a lot of people nationally, and he backed it up with what he was able to do. What did you see from him this year as far as that next step and what he was able to accomplish this year? Just his maturity and his leadership. Um, you know, Brandon's a quiet guy. Everybody here knows that. But you think about going back to his first year here, he took a lot of heat uh, during that season because of the games that he was not able to finish because everybody thought he was the the guy that was going to take the last shot. And to his credit, he always wanted to take that last shot. He just didn't make as many as he would have liked. So, again, can Brandon Ingram finish games? Can Brandon Ingram finish games? Well, we've gone from that point to now where – He is a definite leader of this team. And what really shows greatness is, are you making your teammates better? And he absolutely has made his teammates better uh, this year 
when he just he's now a distributor. He's not just a scorer, and he could always score, but he is getting the ball to guys that are open. He has become a much better rebounder this year. Now think about it. He had, what, eight double-doubles this year and had them split between point assist double-doubles and point rebound double-doubles, and he had he was this close to two triple-doubles, and he ended up one assist shy both times. So, And one of them, he got pulled out of the game after the third quarter because the Pels were winning by so much. So I, I just think he's be, he, become, he has become a much more complete basketball player and a leader, and that's, you know, that's what they brought him in here for a couple of years ago, and it's just very nice to know that he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. If you ever need a stat on double doubles or triple doubles, Todd Grappanini is. <laughs> I guy. love him. That's that. I'm not a stat guy, but I love that, and I love 50 40 90. We got to get we got to get some. And Brandon Ingram could be a 50 40 90 guy sure. uh, when it all is said and done. Trey, I think so. Trey Murphy was a 50 40 90. Yes, guy he at was. Virginia, which is a great segue here into our rookie class that Jim was so happy to bring up. I think. The Pelicans knocked this rookie class out of the park, and I think that's an understatement for what they were able to do between Herb Jones and the defense and him guarding the best player and starting and potentially first-team all-defense or second-team all-defense. Jose Alvarado, undrafted free agent, goes into playing big rotation minutes in the playoffs and getting under the skin of CP3. And then Trey Murphy, the evolution of his three-point shot and the confidence level he had after a brief stint in the G League and coming back and being a contributor. How... What were you able to see from just not only their on-the-court experience, but even off-the-court? Because there's a lot of ups and downs, probably for all three of them at some point. What were you able to see on their progression throughout their first year? Going into this season, we expected a lot from Trey Murphy because he came in as your shooter. It was a little bit different for him as far as acclimating to playing at this level, especially defensively. And he kind of like swallowed his pride and he accepted his need to work on some things. He went to the G League and he got some more confidence and he continued to try to stay mentally prepared and he put in the work. So when he did get his opportunity, he was ready to go. As far as Herb Jones goes and then Jose Alvarado, both of those guys played four years in college. They have a lot more experience and they were I think more ready to come in to the, the level that they needed to play at, especially defensively. And Herb Jones, I mean, we saw him on the court after practice more than any other player. He was definitely working all of the time, not just defensively, but he was working on his shot. And that became something that he was able to add. In the playoffs, he averaged 10 points a game, which from somebody that you did not think was going to come in and help offensively, he really added that to his game. Just the work ethic of all three of those players and just the ability to stay mentally in tune with what they needed to do was huge this season. I think one of the biggest takeaways I have from this season with those three guys is that um, I don't want to put a ceiling on anything as, as far as what those guys can do. It's incredible to think about the ground that those guys covered from October to the playoffs. I mean, you had, to me, Jose obviously wasn't in the rotation. He ends up being one of their most important players in the playoffs. He made massive strides in offensively in terms of figuring out how do I get my shot off, how do I get in the paint. He did so many. He looked like a totally different player in terms of how comfortable he was with the ball. Um, Herb started the season, as Aaron references, a guy that you don't expect a lot of offense from him. In the playoffs, he's getting a steal in, in transition against three guys, putting the ball behind his back, going in for a layup. He's hitting threes, which was something that was uh, considered to be a, a big weakness of his game when – going into the draft and something that people knocked him for as far as draft analysts. 
Um, Trey was out of the rotation, and then in the playing game, he's making huge shots, some of the biggest threes of the season against the Clippers to get New Orleans into the playoffs. So I think one of the things I'm the most excited about with all three of those guys is just to see how good they can become because, I mean, just based on this season, I, I have so much um, enthusiasm for for how good all three of them can be. And instead of sitting around saying, like, well, I think this guy can – like, Jose, yeah, he can be a decent backup, whatever, eighth man, ninth man. I'm like, I want to throw all that stuff out the window and just say, like, based on the improvement that they they've all three of them have made, like, how good can all three of these guys become? I think the ceiling is very high for all of them. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit ticked off that we didn't see it coming, really, really, because think about this. I mean, we always say stuff like, you know, defense travels. Well, guys who defend in high school and defend in college defend in the NBA. Guys who defend, defend. And Herb and Jose were defensive players of the year in their conference, and then we were really surprised, which was a great surprise, but you, we kind of should have had an indication that they'd be able to defend at some point during the season. And the same thing with offense. Trey was a 50-40-90 guy in college. But you get to the NBA and folks figure you out. And they're like, okay, we're not going to let you do that, young man. Do something else. So his adjustment, we kind of, you know, we, we jumped on what we saw in summer league when guys are playing against, you know, basically plumbers and barbers. And I shouldn't say it that way. But, J.J. Redick in the building, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Exactly. Uh, but, but, I mean, we jumped on it, and it was like, okay, but there's an adjustment. There's a huge jump when you get to the NBA regular season games. And even if you have a smidge of success, teams start saying, okay, we see what he can do there. We're not going to let him catch and shoot. Okay, we see he likes to go right. We're going to make him go left. Okay, we see he likes to, you know, shoot it, you know, three times off the dribble, you know, and, and we're going to see if we can make it dribble it five times. So people figure it out. But the defensive thing, I'm really ticked off that we didn't see that one coming because guys who defend are guys like guys who rebound. You know, guys who rebound in college, rebound in the NBA. Guys who defend, defend anywhere, every level. So, you know, it was great to see it, but you know, I'm a little ticked off that we didn't see it coming. Hope my you, barber's you, not listening right now. <laughs> you know what? You know what ticks me off? Um, the fact that is this Festivus or what? Oh right exactly. I want to build on what JD said. It's May. As far as venting. No, what, what ticks me off specifically with the rookies is the direction of scouting and draft analysis has gone so far in the direction of if a guy's played three or four years, if he's 22, 23, that he has no upside. Yeah. And, like, think about how preposterous that notion is with um, Jose and Herb in terms of, as I said a second ago, the ground that those guys covered and how much they can improve. So I feel like we need to throw that out the window of saying, like, well, the guy played four years, so he can't possibly get better. Because we saw two guys that played four years get a ton better over the span of five months. No, Jim, you need to stop. We need to keep this within our organization here, okay? We're going after all those guys. Don't let anybody know. <laughs> That's a good point. I agree. Yeah, I, yeah. Every, every, all the other teams keep – my message to the other teams is guys that are playing four years in, the, in college, they can't get better. I, I just I got to go to the Jose story because it really is the most fascinating of it all. And you think about it, and it's really, really unfortunate because Kyra Lewis tearing his ACL opened the door for Jose Alvarado. If Kyra, if that does not happen, who knows if we even see Jose at all this year? The way Kyra had been progressing throughout the season, Jose made the most of his opportunity. So much so where he might not have played a minute uh, with the big club, and now people are chanting his name in the Smoothie King Center. I mean, it's just 
And it's incredible. He can it's shoot. Incre- he can shoot, by the way. I swear this is not revisionist history. The day after media day, I told the several people, I'm like, this Jose Alvarado guy is awesome. Like, if you talk to this guy, it's like you want to root for him. Obviously, I wasn't expecting him to be in the playoffs playing big minutes, but, I mean, he's just he has that kind of personality that I think everybody grew to love of that he's just – you know, the underdog and his attitude was unbelievable. When I talked to him on media day, I, I immediately could see why they wanted to sign him to a two way contract and why they wanted him to be part of the organization, because it's just immediate that when you, when you talk to him, you can tell, you know, he's a plus plus in all of the different intangibles. Yeah. Forget the merch. You can love me with a t-shirt, but love me more with the contract. Yeah. And that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> they loved him more with the contract. That's the thing. You know, you obviously two way guys can't, be eligible to play in the playoffs. He became so essential to this team that they had to sign him to a contract sure. because he needed to play in the postseason. He was closing out games. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, one more thing before we kind of focus on the offseason, Aaron, is everyone talked about the C.J. McCollum trade, but not a lot of people talked about who else was a part of that trade. And I think Larry Nance had a big impact on this team since he got here. Of course, he was injured at the time when he got here, but he was ready to get on that court, traveled, back with the Pelicans after surgery, was dying to get on the court when he did. He also made an impact on this team's push to the playoffs, not only on the court, but off the court, kind of mentoring some of these young guys. Yeah, he became the, I don't know, like the overall leader of the second unit. He really solidified that group. He instilled confidence in those players. He helped them set up, set them up for success. And, you know, he kind of defined each of their roles. And he was happy to reel off what everybody could do where he thought that they would have success and get them in those places throughout the game. It was really cool to see how players like Trey Murphy kind of fell under his wing and really respected him as a player. But I think it's because he came in and he put in the work and he was at practices and he was asking questions and he was trying to get to know the guys, even though he wasn't able to actually participate. You know, he made it known that he wanted to be a part of this team and he wanted to contribute to their success. He wanted to help them because he really believed in what they were doing here. Same thing that we heard from C.J. McCollum. C.J. was able to actually be a part of the team because he didn't come in with that injury. But it was really cool to see just the investment from him from the beginning. All right. As we wrap up this show here, appreciate everyone joining us. Let's kind of look ahead here to this potential offseason. But I want to start with something that David Griffin brought up, Jim, and we can all go out in the room and talk about this one thing, or you all can talk about kind of what the next steps are for this Pelicans team. But continuity and kind of what the offseason might look like. This might be one of the quietest potential offseasons for the Pelicans. Maybe it's big. I don't know. Obviously, looming is Zion Williamson and what he's going to bring to this team next year. Just more importantly, getting healthy is the biggest thing with him. But that's also technically could be a free agent piece that you're adding without even having to add someone. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this could be a season, the last couple years, you've had six or seven new guys on the roster with also two different head coaches. Now you have Willie Green in place. Now you have 13, 14 guys under contract. How nice of a, I'm not going to say nice of an offseason because there's still going to be plenty to do. How fortunate this team will be in the position they are that really you're not looking for a ton here. You're just kind of adding some some minor pieces to get to where the next step is for this team. And if there is a big piece, quote-unquote big piece, put into play, added to the mix it's going to be a top 10 draft pick that right. we're, i'm sure we're going to be talking about a lot here coming up in the next couple of weeks so i mean that's exciting as well that you have a chance to add something that a, a player that is extremely talented i mean 
if they move into the top four, base, I'm no draft expert, but I know that people are saying that the, there's a top tier of four or five guys that are kind of stand out above everybody else. If they move into the top four at the lottery, I mean, you're talking about another very significant add to the roster. Um, but in terms of the continuity, to me, one of the things I'm looking forward to this offseason and then when we get into training camp next year is how much internal development they, they can make. I think one of the areas that is pretty obvious that they need to improve upon is three-point shooting. But I think they can do that at least partly from the guys that are here improving, whether that's Trey Murphy ends up getting improving as a player overall so that he's on the court more and plays more minutes, so your three-point percentage goes up because you have one of the guys that's the best at it you know, in the lineup more often or more frequently. Um, Herb, obviously, is going to keep working on his three-point shot. Um, there's other players that have shown that they can improve in that area. So um, I think I like I love the fact that they're not going to be probably making sweeping changes to the roster. And as far as the chemistry that we've all kind of touched on, it's so, so good right now. So to be able to keep that group together, I think, is going to pay off in a lot of ways next season that you can't even really measure. J.D., where would you, I guess, find the missing piece or what is the missing piece? Or is it more just even the evolution of the guys that you had, the progression is even just more beneficial for next year as you try to climb your way in the Western Conference standings. Well, you would hope that the hunger will be there. I think it yeah. will be. I, these guys got a taste of it, and so now they want to understand exactly how far they can go. But, I mean, the biggest thing is obviously Zion. Um, how do you integrate him? How do you put him on the court with the pieces that you have and keep a smooth flow going? Because you know, working out in the summer is fantastic. Uh, street ball up and down, woohoo! Yeah. But now Willie Green's got to get the whiteboard and he's got to draw up some stuff and it's got to all work. And not just to keep guys satisfied and get them touches, but for guys to be unselfish and want to play together and want to make that sacrifice toward the team goals. How is that going to to go? I think it's going to go well, but you know, thinking it's going to go well in May is different than it going well in November, December, you know, January. So that's going to be the big thing when Z gets on the court. How does he fit with what they're doing? Before uh, I'm going to ask you two the same question, speaking of team goals, what is the t- what would be a goal for next season? Where is the progression with this team? Is it, all right, you got in at the play-in. Is it one through six now? Is it home court in the first round? Like, it, wh- Where do you take this? What's realistic as far as the steps you need to take in order to show progression here? Got to, got to see how Zion is integrated in. Um, but no, play-in cannot happen. And, and I think we saw, you know, guys maybe wear down a little bit at the end of the, of, of the Phoenix series because of those two playing games. And again, the, mo- the emotional and physical grind it took just to get into the play-in, uh, that, that to me is the goal next year. I mean, you can talk about getting home court being a four seed, um, but I think the team is going to be constructed well enough where – to me, the whole thing is about being healthy next year. I mean, that, that to me is it. If the team stays relatively healthy, guys are going to miss games. I mean, that's just the way it is nowadays. But if you stay relatively healthy, I don't think there's any doubt this is a postseason team. And I'm not talking about playing. I'm talking about six or higher. Yeah, just piggyback off of that. Definitely health would be a huge focus. You want to make sure that you have one of your better players on the court for a the majority of the season, even with Brandon Ingram, you want to make sure that he's able to play a, a few more games than he did this season. And then hopefully COVID isn't as big of a factor as it was this past year as well. So all of those things. And then you think about with head coach Willie Green, it was his first season as a head coach 
at all at any you know level here. So the progression that he's able to have from year one to year two, everybody talks about how there's so much growth between those two years, just kind of getting a better understanding of what it takes to be that guy, to be the guy that's the one calling the shots all of the time. And then the caveat of how you integrate Zion into that as well. You know, the culture has been established. You know, this team gets along. You know that they know what it takes to get there. So do they start that from game one and carry that on throughout the season? Uh, I want to piggyback on what JD said about the hunger. Uh, Look, I know everybody was bummed out that it ended and we were on a great run. And look, Phoenix, you know, they were the better team ultimately. But I don't think it could have gone any better for the Pelicans in the sense that they know now what it took to get in. And then when it's 2-2 with the top best team in the league, and you can actually think about reaching out and getting this thing. I mean, it's best two out of three against the Phoenix Suns. They actually got a taste of, wow, we can win this. And then it doesn't happen. And now you come in knowing what it takes. And man, we want to keep this thing going. Not only this first round, whatever, let's keep this going. Because if you look at what happened with the Hawks last year, Daniel, and and everybody else, you know, the Hawks got to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then they just figured, hey, we're going to roll this thing back and just waltz into the playoffs again and, and go through a roll. They didn't make any changes on their roster, and look where it got them this yeah. year. They didn't come in with the hunger that I know the Pelicans are going to have going into the, to the season next year. So, you know, I, I think they got a little bit too much of, a taste of it where the Pelicans just got a little taste and now know what it takes to get back to the next round. As Monty Williams say, he got too happy on the farm. And so yeah, there you have it. In the NBA, you usually have to have some heartbreak before you get the success. I mean, it generally happens that way. This ain't like football where, you know, the Bengals jump up out of nowhere and they go to the Super Bowl after they haven't been to the playoffs in God knows how long. In the NBA, it's a seven-game series. So you got to beat somebody. They won't lose to you. You got to beat them. And so you usually have a little bit of heartbreak before you can get to that successful stage. And hopefully this heart heartbreak will push the Pelicans to that stage where they want to go. And also the Western Conference could potentially be even stronger next year. In fact, in the Clippers and if they get healthy. And again, it always is a mess when it comes to the offseason and who brings in what. There could be some teams that are up there that could be broken up. There could be some teams down low and I'm making his rise as well. But I think we all can agree how fun it was for this Pelicans team and how excited we are for the future. So for us, it's sort of one, two, three Cancun time as we will take a little bit of time off, but there's no rest for Jim and I as we will begin our player recaps next week. We'll start with our starting lineup next week, Monday through Friday, and work our way through the roster. Aaron Summers will have a video aspect of that as well. So keep that in mind. We'll have lottery previews. We'll have draft previews. So we're technically not done yet, but this will be our final put a bow on the 2021-22 season. Jim Mike and Offer, of course, will continue to do his work on Pelicans.com. John DeShazer, radio analyst, will now turn his attention a little bit to your New Orleans Saints. Todd Graff and ED Pelicans radio analyst Aaron Summers, host and sideline reporter for the Pelicans. I appreciate everyone for coming in and talking about this season. Thanks to everyone listening at some point or for all of the season. And until next time, I guess until Monday for Jim and I, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.